0: Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's
1: Terry. All right, good morning. We are back in our palatial studios in Fort Collins, Karen and I. I want to thank you folks who followed us on our trip to Minnesota. It was a little over two weeks. Uh, we got we had a great time. We got to do a lot of fishing. We got to see some family, and uh, played some music. Uh, we even got featured in a parade. We had a great time. It was a really great trip through Minnesota, and I know a lot of you followed it. Um, we have great fishing in Colorado. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but uh, Minnesota is special to me. It's where I was born, where I spent the first major portion of my life, and uh, I just love the fishing up there. But we have. Great outdoors in Colorado, and we are going to talk fishing a lot during this show today. Uh, I know Austin Parr is going to join us later, and Chad Chance is going to join us later. We're going to talk some hunting during today's show. Nate Zielinski is going to talk about the strategy for hunting multiple tags and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about transitioning camping from uh, summer to fall and winter camping, and we have just a, a show full of topics. We're ready, so let's get going. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from the Fishing with Bernie staff from up in the Granby area is Dan Shannon. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Terry. It's a beautiful day out in Colorado. You know, it's warm, isn't it? I mean, it's we're getting late. We're getting to the second half of August, and we can get these days, but it's been a warm summer. Has that had much effect on Granby and uh, the area you fish?
0: Um, you know, we're some of those cold water trout species, and as yeah, that typical slow down, and a kind of the fish overall remained uh, stayed various. So well, that, that's a we didn't have last. <laughs>
1: You're breaking up a little bit on me, Dan, but we're going to try to work through it. Um, what's going on up in the Bay area? First of all, what are the water levels in the lakes up
0: there? The water levels are great. We've got uh, pretty full lakes, and really they're, they're different than, than what we had last year. So last year we had a, a lot of low levels. This year we're, we're sitting there, we good. Boat ramp are going to stay open, sports ramp still open, and uh, everything's great as far as water.
1: Now, when I used to, when, years ago, before I started doing radio and television, I used to fish Granby a lot. It was one of my favorite lakes. And I always had in my mindset that I would fish it in the early spring, and then I would fish it again in the fall, when uh, just before they spawn and when the water started to cool. And then, of course, I would ice fish it. But I kind of avoided it in, in the summer. But a long time ago, an ex-compadre of yours, Bernie Keith, convinced me that you shouldn't quit fishing Granby in the summer just because the fish reposition doesn't mean they're not catchable. Is that that's right,
0: isn't it? That's very true. You know, fish are still catchable. But look, move go with the cool water, which is going to be the deeper structure. So they it's the hang on similar types of structure year round, That they just for the water temperature that suits them best. So keep bumping out a little deep, a little bit deeper, reading those maps and for those those likely spots that are going to hang out and, and keep fishing all year round, have you, have you been doing pretty well as of late? Yeah, it's, it's, the fishing's been good. Like I said, we we bumped off into those and third tier structures, and you know the fish are still there. So the 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 big fish are out there, really working those those edges hard. Like they're you, you start looking at just uh, around really really deep structure, and, and they're still there. Same thing with number they're still up. There. The current channel is really eating on the mice. is particular ingredient, so so they're still third, and the bite's been actually it's stayed pretty good the season.
1: Now, when, when you're fishing that for numbers like eaters, you know, I guess we normally think of an eater maybe 14 to 20 inches in that kind of range, give or take an inch or two. Um, we like to see people release bigger fish in that, so we can continue to grow big fish, but. Do you approach it, do you use a different presentation for the big fish than you do the numbers of fish? You
0: just size, your size everything up, you know. And in my, uh, my, my mind, I think that put a more effort to eating bigger meals than they are going to eat a whole small meals. So, you know, you just size everything up. And bigger fish, because big they are putting larger, larger, uh, bait in the, in the lake. So that's, that's where they're going to key in as far as what they want, what they want to out. So we kind of think about what rainbow trout you're doing to kind of fish in those general areas where lake trout would have access to those.
1: Now, what about some of the other lakes up there, like Williams, you know, before we even move to that Granby, you know, we always talk about the lake trout, but there's a good population of rainbows and browns in Granby too. Are you seeing any action on those?
0: Uh, the rainbows, I, I haven't actually targeted it in a while, but I've been talking to people at the boat ramps, and it sounds like, okay, uh, targeting them trolling right now, that's really tapered off. I know water t- really peaking as far as our river t- area as well, so they're talking like they're, they're doing some voluntary uh, set off the rivers because of the clear temps, which you know, is pretty tipped summers, but uh, rainbows are really affected by that, so... We focus on them early in the morning, late in the day, and yeah, you know, that's when you're it really was kind of the deeper edges of the lines. So really yeah, you're to, still kind of bra- still kind of
1: breaking still kind of breaking up on me, Dan. But before I let you go, what's going on in the other
0: lakes up in the area, like Williams Fork? Williams Fork is fishing well. Um, it's stayed what, the water level in there is staying up this year, so the ramps should stay open through October like it typically does. But the fishing out there has been great. Uh, our team was having good fix on both bird and large fish, through the, uh, just, just this last week. So, sort Fork really fish. despite the fact that they're not stocking it with rainbows and coconut. So, um, fun to keep on your radar if you're headed up in the air. Uh, should be starting to look to start jigging some coconut the They should be schooling up right now. So as we head out back, that's a, their bite that should be coming, coming into, start picking up soon and Grand Lake is there as well. It stays cooler than the rest of the, rest of the lake because we will stay better into, in September where the other lakes start slowing down. All right.
1: We're going to have to wrap it up, Dan, because you're really breaking up on me, but tell people how they find you if they want to get more information or book a trip.
0: Well, do you Find us on the internet or Facebook and uh, just reach out. We can fall right now. All right, my friend. We'll get you
1: on again soon with a better connection and get an update. Thanks, Dan. bye. Dan Shannon. We had a bad connection there, folks. I apologize for that. But let me kind of, Dan and I talked earlier, and what's going on up at Granby right now? And by the way, Dan is just a super guy, you know. They run what was fishing for Bernie. Bernie bailed on us and went to Florida. I get posts from him once in a while. He's out there in a big boat catching all kinds of fish. But Bernie started that guide service, and these guys took it over, and they do a great job. They're great to fish with. And the gist of it is the water levels are good. The fish are a little deeper because it's been warm up there, but very catchable. They've been catching good lake trout, both size and numbers, in Granby. And Williams Fork has even done a little better because they didn't stock with rainbows and kokanee. And one of the reasons they didn't stock rainbows and kokanee in Williams Fork is a gill lice issue with the kokanee. And they're trying to reduce the numbers, the same approach they took to Green Mountain a few years ago, because when you have high numbers of those types of fish, the gill lice spread and propagate pretty prolifically. So by reducing those numbers, they're hoping to see a reduction in gill lice and then better success with future stocking. And at Green Mountain, it's been very successful. They're starting to bring the kokanee and the rainbows back to Green Mountain, and they're very excited about that. But because there's less um, fish, I mean, the lake trout prey on lake, on uh, rainbows and kokanee and anything they can eat. They're very voracious predators. And because there's a lack of being stocked, they're a little hungrier in uh, Williams Fork. So, the people are having some pretty good success. You have to look for them a little bit and work, but they're really popping some numbers of fish out of Williams Fork. Granby is headed for a tremendous fall. They have a high water level. (laughs) The fishing has remained good in the summer, but we get into the cooling water in September. We get into the end of September and into October, and I think Granby is just going to be on fire this year. It's going to be... a tremendous opportunity. You know, in the fall, when I go up there second half of September through October, I don't usually concentrate on big fish. That doesn't mean you can't catch one. Um, we've got 20 pounders at that time of the year, but it's a numbers game. If you just want action, it's one of the best bites. Once you understand it and learn how to fish it, the young uh, lake trout, especially, move in to spawn when that water gets below 55 degrees. And when they move onto those gravel areas, points on the dams where the riprap is, uh, they'll, they'll get as shallow as just a few feet and you can catch them from shore even, but they get concentrated. So we take our boats and we fish off the drop offs and cast up in the shallow where we locate them with our electronics. They might still be staging. They start to stage towards the end of September and then they, In October, they move up to spawn, and it's weather-dependent, but it can be fantastic. You get into those, and I've had 30, 40, 50, 60 fish days. You know, you're catching, we talk about small lake trout. You're catching fish that are uh, 15 to 22 inches. We probably try to keep a couple in that 18, 16, 18-inch range, but you're catching fish that size. You know, when you're out trout fishing in most places, you're catching fish that big on a constant basis you're just thrilled and then with the chance at a 25 30 or even bigger fish at any time it can be just a fantastic opportunity and you control for them you can cast spoons i love jigging for them when they're in that shallower water just that working that jig and then feeling that tap tap and setting the hook to me that's a tremendous tremendous way to fish and it really uh Really, is one of the best fishing opportunities in the state. And when that water cools in the fall, the browns and the rainbows are going to get back close to shore. You know, we get a lot of people that tell us we don't talk enough about shore fishing opportunities. Well, shore fishing opportunities are very seasonal dependent and species dependent. So they vary from time of the year to time of the year. I mean, you can catch fish from shore anytime, and you can catch most fish from shore anytime. But if you want better chances of success. You want to go after certain species certain times of the year. October, uh, in the fall, those mountain lakes, when those rainbows and browns are in shallow, and then and lakes like Granby where the lake trout come in shallow, that can be one of your best shore fishing experiences of the whole year for constant action and to catch some really nice fish. You can cast jigs from shore. You can cast spoons from shore. You can cast, cast, cast crankbaits if you're worried about getting hung up, cast a diving crankbait that maybe doesn't get down quite as deep. So there's a number of ways to fish them. Even fly fishermen can have great luck on the shorelines of Granby up there in the fall. So that's something to file away in your um, memory bank getting into this fall. One other subject I want to talk about other than Granby, we've been on ESPN a lot lately. Now our regular home here um, for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is 104.3 The Fan, and our regular, this is where we will air most of the time from 9 to 11. Occasionally, because of sports programming, a special program, or a game, we get moved over to ESPN from 10 to noon. So almost always, if you can't find us on 104.3 The Fan at 9, we're going to be over on ESPN at 10, 1600, or you can listen online. In fact, if you go to the 104.3 The Fan app, there's a listen to ESPN uh, logo you can click on right there. So d- do that. Now I did a little looking out. We are on ESPN again next week because the Broncos play at 11 o'clock and there's going to be a pregame show. And then we're back on the fan all the way through the month of uh, of uh, September right now. Uh, but that can change a college football game that the stations is contracted to can get scheduled to a different time. But we'll always post on Facebook, so follow us on Facebook. And anytime we're not going to be on the fan from 9 to 11, Karen will put a post up on Facebook and let you know where to find us and what's going on. We also talk about sometimes upcoming guests and topics. All right, we're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Um, we're going to talk about a unique partnership that Colorado Parks and Wildlife is promoting in order to take better use of our resources and expand them right here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're gonna go right to the phones and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Jody Kennedy. Good morning, Jody. Good
2: morning, Terry.
1: It's a beautiful day out in Colorado. It is a little on the warm side, but it's a a great day to be outdoors. And, you know, that's kind of the attitude the general public has taken the last few years, that every day is a great day to be outdoors. And we are seeing a tremendous use of our outdoor facilities, including Parks and Wildlife. And uh, it's an outdoor state. People like that. So Parks and Wildlife has been trying to come up with ways to more efficiently use our resources, to partner with people, to take advantage of our resources. And you're going to talk to us about one of those programs, aren't you?
2: Yes, that's right, Terry. And thank you so much for having me on the show this morning. I appreciate it.
1: So tell us a little bit about this, the Outdoor Regional Partnership Program. Is this something new?
2: This is, this is new. Yes, this is a locally rooted approach uh, to ensuring that Colorado remains a world-class outdoor destination while preserving our land and our water and our wildlife. And just as you said, we've seen a lot of increase in the outdoor and uh, in use in the outdoors. And, and so This initiative actually first got its roots back at our Partners in the Outdoors Conference in in 2016, when a group of leaders came together from land management agencies, from various outdoor interests, from our hunting and fishing, to trail users, to state and local government, all got together. and, And this was back in 2016, and sort of recognized that with increasing demand of our outdoor recreation resources, we... We would be better off if we could find ways to work together to come up with uh, priorities and strategies to better balance our conservation and outdoor recreation needs in the state. So that led to the formation of a statewide coalition uh, called the Colorado Outdoor Partnership, and they continue to meet regularly. And now, as you said, we now have a new initiative where... This group of partners is working closely with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, and we're really looking at how we take this partnership concept to the local, to the local and regional level, kind of understanding that folks in communities across the state have a good understanding of what the pressures are, what their needs are, and what their priorities are moving forward. So this idea of working together and working collaboratively is now we're really trying to bolster it at the regional level. CPW is offering funding and we have full support from our governor and our Department of Natural Resources. We also have a really strong partner in Great Outdoors Colorado. Uh, So to get this initiative off the ground, we offered funding for grants to regions who have coalitions or want to form a coalition and offered them funding to basically bring those folks together to form their own partnership and start joining the statewide conference. A conversation about how we balance our conservation and, and outdoor recreation needs.
1: Well, it makes a lot of sense because obviously Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a statewide organization and there's, I think, 42 parks. So there's, there's different areas that you manage, but to expand and take advantage of regional resources and you know, parks and wildlife isn't only managing parks, you're managing conservation, managing wildlife, managing wildlife areas and opportunities. But the the opportunities and the and the roadblocks and the problems you run into in out in, in southeast Colorado up by John Martin Reservoir are going to be much different than what they are up in Craig or up up in Meeker or someplace like that. So you're if you correct me if I'm wrong, so the idea is to get these regional coalitions together that understand the needs of conservation and outdoor recreation specific to their area. Is that right? Yes,
2: yeah, that's exactly right. And so we now have, we just had our second funding round and we now have 10 coalitions funded around the state. And the coalitions are they're very different, um, just as you said, because they're dealing with really different issues. So we have a Metro Denver coalition that's focused on what are the issues happening here in the Metro area where I'm located. And now we have a brand new coalition um, who's just forming out in the Northwestern corner of the state and they're in Moffat and Rio Blanco counties. And yes, as you can imagine, Um, the issues they're facing out there are quite a bit different and, but the general principle is the same: is can we bring folks together across the different sectors? Can we bring local decision makers together with our land use managers? Um, with all of our different outdoor uh, recreation interests and needs, with our wildlife conservation um, interests and experts, and our personal wildlife staff, and, and bring them together to really look holistically at their region, come up with a vision for for what they want that area to look like. To to look at the challenges that we're facing, you know, whether it's intense outdoor recreation demand and increasing pressure, or Maybe it's more economically um, economic development focused, or maybe it's how to solve a trail bottleneck problem. You know, each area is really different. And, and so this initiative is intended to recognize those differences, to uh, appreciate and respect those differences and to allow kind of the flexibility um, that folks can kind of come up with their own priorities and their own needs specific to their region.
1: Now, who can form these coalitions and what kind of grant money is available?
2: Yeah, that is a that is a great question. So this past spring we had $750,000 available to support, really to support coalition forming um, as well as actual planning and research and, and needs to help these coalitions get a plan developed. So we've got ten, cool, 10 regional partnerships now around the state. They're all at pretty different stages. So we have funding available for folks who are interested in just forming a coalition uh, and might not even have one yet. So uh, an example is URAE, we've got a coalition now in URAE or we've got funding for a partnership in URAE and really that's a group of interested folks who are bringing land managers and interest groups together and they're just starting to think about what their coalition's gonna look like and how they're gonna appoint standing members uh, and then once those coalitions are established and in place, there's funding for folks to, to do the visioning work and the prioritization to really come up with kind of a strategy um, for where they want to go in the future and, and how they're going to get there and how to get folks involved. And I want to highlight uh, Envision Chafee County too, because this is a coalition that's been in place before the initiative even existed. And so we've sort of been looking at Envision Chafee County as a model and I think they're a great example where they did visioning, they identified their priorities for that area and now they're actually moving forward and, and making things happen on the ground. Um, they've done some great um, critical habitat kind of identification and taken steps to really make sure wildlife populations are conserved. On the other hand, um, another example is they looked at issues um, like dispersed camping, which in Chapey County has been an increasing challenge, and COVID just made that worse. So they pulled 2,000 volunteers together to go out and map these dispersed camping sites, and then they cleaned them up. And with the volunteer support, they, will, they were able to clean up over a ton of trash. They were able to get it done quickly. And it's an example of where if you were just to rely on your state and federal agencies to get that work done, it could take quite a bit longer. Um, and so in this case, you know, bringing local voices together, using the community, uh, inspiring stewardship really help kind of tackle these big issues quickly um, and we're responsive to the specific needs of that community.
1: Jody, we are out of time. We only have about a minute left, but if people want to know more about this or if they want to know if there's a seat at the table for them or their group, how would they find out more?
2: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So if you go to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website and you search regional partnerships, it will take you to our page. Our next funding round is going to be announced in this September of 2022, and again we'll have somewhere in the ballpark of 750 thousand dollars available to support coalition building. As I said, we have 10 coalitions now, or um, regional partnerships formed. They cover about 27 counties. Um, and not quite 50% of the state. so there's still a lot of opportunity to form new coalitions and a lot of opportunity for local nonprofits or agency representatives, local governments uh, to get involved and, and think about how they might form a coalition or regional partnership in their area.
1: All right, thank you so much for joining us. Sounds like a great program. We need to really value our outdoor resources in Colorado and take advantage of them. Sounds like a good program. Thank you, Jody. Thank you so much, Terry. Take you care. You bet, that's jo- Jody Kennedy from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're gonna take a quick time out and we come back, we're gonna talk to you, take you to a hatchery that uh, probably does things different than what you think most hatcheries in the state do. All that and more. I'm Terry Wickstrom from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Eager. He'll get your toe tapping in the morning, won't he? You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Jack's has stores up and down the front range. If you're an outdoor enthusiast and you haven't shopped at Jack's store, just do yourself a favor. Stop in look around. You'll be pleasantly impressed. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Native Species Hatchery is Ted Smith. Good morning, Ted. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I am doing great. Where are you calling us from, by the way?
3: I'm calling from uh, Colorado's beautiful San Luis Valley, uh, Alamosa, Colorado. How's the weather down there? Oh, it's a a bluebird day, so (laughs) I just can't wait to get out there and start enjoying it. Oh, I know. Well, thank you for taking
1: time to join us this morning. You know, when people think about the hatcheries in Colorado, The hatcheries in Colorado, the first thing they think about are all the put-and-take trout. And then, of course, some, if they're a little more knowledgeable, know about the subcatchables and the warm-water species we stock. Uh, And those are all usually game fish-related. They're looking for an angling opportunity. But Colorado Parks and Wildlife manages more than the game and the harvest-type species. You're responsible for all the wildlife in Colorado, aren't you? Yes, we are.
3: Yeah. So how many hatcheries does Colorado have in all? Well, we have, uh, we operate about 19 hatcheries that breed and hatch and rear and stock uh, over 90 million fish a year. Um, 17 of those hatcheries are, as you say, game fish hatcheries. So, you know, the, our trout species, our, our salmon, our kokanee salmon, uh, our warm water species like crappies and bluegills and bass and walleyes. Uh, we also have one research uh, or one one hatchery up in Fort Collins that is our research hatchery. Uh, they can strictly conduct research there. And then there's the uh, hatchery that I, I supervise. It's called the Native Aquatic Species Restoration Facility. And uh, now, my facility, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. That's fine. Yeah, I was going to say, our facility down here is, as you mentioned, strictly non-game. It was built in the year 2000. Uh, our mission is to recover Colorado native aquatic species that are in decline. And we do this through primarily captive propagation. Uh, we also serve as a genetic bank. We have genetic conservation going on here. We're big supporters of scientific research uh, in, our, in our university systems and zoos across the United States. And then our last charge is really what we're doing right now, public education and awareness of, of, of this facility.
1: Well, and, you know, if we look back at what the hatchery system means to Colorado, I mean, fishing in Colorado contributes over $2 billion to the economy, I believe. And so that's an important part of our outdoor recreation. And people might wonder, well, why do we need to preserve some species we can't fish for? Well, first of all, there aren't that many species, and I'll let you address this, that are actually native to Colorado, And if some of those species you talk about, they could be threatened or could get it on an endangered list or could be in decline. Um, Not only could we lose that species forever, but we could, it could cause a lot of problems for management of everything else, couldn't it?
3: You bet. I mean, uh, the, the native species facility is one of the first facilities of its kind in the U.S. And I like to say we take a proactive approach. Uh, at keeping state-listed species from reaching those levels that would warrant f- uh, federal protections. Because, you know, once we get to that point, when they make the federal list, that's the game changer. That's when, uh, you know, this uh, little animal, this little fish could, you know, trump our needs to recreate or, you know, limit our ability to make livings using the water. So, yeah, we, we try to um, keep them at the state level and at a proactive uh, approach. And and so that's that's the name of the game for us. What are some of the species that you do um, raise at the facility? Well, we've got 12 species of, of fish and one amphibian. And, uh, you know, going back to what I was saying as far as w- our attempts, uh, w- one of them is called, it's, uh, Arkansas darter. It's out of the southeast region, uh, the Arkansas drainage and tributaries to it. And it's state, is a state threatened fish. And, uh, back in 2015 and 16, uh, it was found not warranted for federal listing because of all the work we've done with it. We've actually, uh, kept the numbers up there and expanded its, its historic range. Um, then uh, the, a year later, in 2017, um, the boreal toad, which is a, an alpine toad, lives at about uh, oh, 10,000 feet on the average. It was up for federal listing, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service found that that animal wasn't warranted. For, for listing because of the work we're doing here as well. And so we've had success stories uh, keeping these animals off that federal list. Now, next month, um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will be looking at the state-endangered Rio Grande sucker and the what we call species of special concern. It's another category um, between threatened and uh, endangered, and it's the Rio Grande chub. So both those species will be looked at next month uh, in regards to federal listing. But we've we've done some great work with these guys. Uh, the, this year alone, the Rio Grande sucker we have put out over sixty. Well, will be right around sixty thousand uh, fish. Um, the boreal toad were at about thirty-four thousand tadpoles and, and toadlets this year, so we're putting out good numbers, and and uh, that's you know keeping them in their historic range at numbers that that are uh, where we want them, so that they don't they don't decline any further. Well, and I, I don't know if sportsmen realize this, but most
1: of the most of the fish that sportsmen pursue in Colorado aren't native. I mean, only a few cutthroats and a couple sunfish are really native to Colorado as far as um, what we pursue. But if one of these would get listed or it may prohibit stocking of non-native fish in in a river that we love to fish, and they may not be able to do that, or it may prevent them changing the water flows. It can have just tremendous effects, can't it?
3: It sure can. I mean, that's the, you know, the, the, beauty of this facility is again, we're, we're addressing that problem b- before we get to that level. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the non-natives that you mentioned, you know, the majority of, of the fish are non-native, but we, we manage them in habitats that are conducive for that fish. Um, we never put these things into critical habitats where, where a lot of our native cutthroat, uh, thrive and, and, you know, the, the three main, uh, Cutthroat in the state are the Rio Grande cutthroat, the Colorado River cutthroat, and then our state fish, the Greenback cutthroat. So they're in critical habitats that we, you know, we try not to put. We do not put um, non-natives in those areas.
1: Now we're going to run out of time. I know you do a lot of educational work at your facility too. So if people yeah, yeah. want to look it up or come by. Can they do you do tours? Is there something on the website? Yes, uh, we
3: have uh, on our website, there's the uh, Take the Hatchery Tour. And it's a a tour that you can take online and and pinpoint all the hatcheries around our state. And you'll find the the Native Species Facility down here in Alamosa. And it'll give you information to call. Um, But my number is 719 587 three three nine two and you know give me a call and we we set our uh, tours up uh, we have to give them uh, a, a guided tour given the the sensitive nature of the animals we grow here it's not just a self-guided tour we have to set it up where we take you around and explain to you what what's what these animals are all about and our efforts to recover them all right.
1: Ted, thank you so much for joining us, and I'd love to get down and, and tour the hatchery because our entire ecosystem is intertwined, and taking care of everything is so important. Thank you for the work you're doing, and thanks for sharing it
3: with us. Well, thank you, Terry. You're, you are invited anytime, and, and thanks for having me this morning. All right.
1: Thank you. Ted Smith from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out and we come back... Austin Parr is going to join us, and we are going to talk fishing right here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. When love's got you down, and the world's crashing all around Always count on me You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan Count On Me, by the way, is part of the EP that um, Mark Dobreth and I have currently streaming on all your favorite streaming services Just go to Wickstrom and Dobreth and give a listen We'd certainly appreciate it But right now, let's listen to somebody who really knows what's going on with fishing in Colorado Austin Parr Good morning, Austin Good morning, Terry Thanks for having me always a pleasure. You're always keeping on top of things. You not only spend the time on the water, but you, because of running a tackle store, you get the people coming in and out and you have contacts all over the state. So you truly are a tremendous resource for us, Austin. And, you know, I was thinking while I was on hold waiting for you to come on, I am the old days, we all kept fishing logs of what the temperature was and what lures we used and what the water levels were and what was going on. I'm taking them and I'm throwing it tearing them up and throwing them away. Cause they can't keep up anymore, man. It uh, certainly seems like that's the case right now. I, I know what you mean. It's, um, you know, before we get on to a couple things, you know, the rivers, I know the Colorado, the Eagle and the Yampa all have restrictions on them. I know you're going to give us some alternatives as we get into this a little bit Northeast. We've seen some, uh, lakes closing because they actually might lose the entire fishery and, uh, Pueblo and Cherry Creek have a tremendous shad hatch going on. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But we talk about Chatfield a lot and the reason we do
4: is because right now it's just on fire isn't it? It's about as good as you could possibly imagine as far as just straight up numbers are concerned uh, for walleyes and smallmouth off bass. Uh, the lake dropped about two feet when uh, the shad were up shallow spawning and a lot of those eggs dried up and were unsuccessful uh, as far as the baitfish population is concerned. So there are very few baitfish in the lake and that means these fish are still sitting in a lot of the same positions that they have been all year as far as the summertime. Uh, period and they are biting really well but not on everything they are very concentrated similar to how they were in june on the insects and and the bug hatch when you crack open a stomach and, and look in there it is a whole bunch of size 16 midges and that means that things like blade baits and jigging wraps and swim baits their effectiveness is pretty limited you can still catch fish on some of those right now and and i'm not saying they're not working entirely but you go and adjust and and run a Lindy rig with some crawlers or a jig and some crawlers and work it very slowly on top of some of those fish on the the structure points. And the numbers are are spectacular. I mean, on guide trips, we've been averaging 80 plus fish days on every single day that we're out. And it has uh, continued like that for months. Are you still getting some keeper size, solid size fish? definitely so if you stay on a lot of the the community style spots like the roadbed it seems like the keepers are pretty few and far between but if you go and find some of those less hit spots maybe down in the no wake zone or on the eastern side of the lake uh, those humps tend to hold fish that are a little bit bigger and along some of the weed line edges you'll have some keeper size fish on those as well so they are definitely available um, in the right locations
1: so what else is going on around the state? Let's stick with the warm water. We'll get up in the mountains and the rivers in a minute. What are you hearing about up and down the Front Range and some of our eastern lakes?
4: Yeah. So Chatfield, or you, Chatfield has, as you mentioned, the walleyes are very good. But just want to want to make a quick note that the trout have been pretty darn worthwhile on the southern end. Water temperature is pretty high at seventy six degrees. So if you're catching some of those, it's you might have to keep them. But the bite has been good uh, for that. Really good, actually. And uh, But then shifting over to Cherry Creek, the shad hatch really was successful like it typically is, and that creates a giant influx of bait fish in the ecosystem. So it's pretty tough to, to get a lot of good numbers out there, but the overall size is definitely bigger. Uh, we've been catching good fish on jigging wraps and blade baits on a lot of your big prominent points like the northeastern tower hump and you'll fish those early in the morning and then once that sun gets up at, at nine or 10 o'clock and starts heating heating things up, those fish peel off of that structure and we're catching them trolling. So pulling baits high in the water column, uh, Salmo hornets in a size four or size four or five flicker shads behind planer boards at various uh, lengths back has been good. Haven't found a day where I needed to go back much further than 65 feet, but some days they're up really high in the water column. So I'm only running at about 15 or so feet back and the same thing's kind of happening at Pueblo. Big bait fish hatch out there, and early in the morning you're able to work on the initial breaks, j- vertical jigging with jigging wraps and uh, jigging spoons. That lake's so snaggy that casting those sometimes can, can really be pretty expensive. Uh, so Cherry Creek, on the other hand, is pretty sandy, so you can like, get away with casting those jigging wraps and working them along the structure. But the vertical jigging at, at Pueblo early and then shifting out and trolling later has been good. There have been some guys catching some fish in some deeper water out there, but a lot of times when you get into that 35- or 40-foot range, the barrow trauma really uh, becomes pretty significant, and peeling those fish out of that depth can be lethal, and not all the fish are keepers, so sometimes I uh, I definitely don't suggest doing that uh, very often. All
1: right, let's talk a little bit about some of the cold water opportunities. Uh, First of all, rivers. We know that the Yampa's got another closure. The Eagle the Colorado have, some have voluntary, some have mandatory closures. Any alternatives? I mean, you can fish early in the morning on some of these rivers, but, boy, it's it's just tough to get out there with these temperatures. Any alternatives you might suggest?
4: There's a ton of alternatives, and a lot of the alternatives are some of my favorites to fish, uh, really, in this whole state. And it's a lot of the small stream options that are the tributaries of these larger bodies of water. And the smaller stream options at the higher elevation offers nice cold water still. There's still decent uh, flow in a lot of those places. And you can get into fantastic cutthroat and brook trout opportunities and occasionally your brown trout. But those, those bodies of water rarely have any style of, of closure on them. And you can catch a ton of fish on the dry fly dropper rigs. So working like at a hopper or a humpy up on top and a, a beadhead nymph like a copper john, or we've been doing quite well on some cased caddis lately dropping that down below about 18 inches and working it into small riffles. That all is, is very good. But then hiking up to some of your high elevation lakes, such as some stuff up in the flat tops, wilderness area, Indian peaks closer to home can be good. And there's some great stuff near um, Idaho Springs on the clear Creek style drainage up high. And all of those bodies of water up high offer great terrestrial fishing for cutthroats. And then mentioning the clear Creek um, drainage, clear Creek itself is a, a very steep drainage and, and remains very cold throughout the whole year and offers great fishing close to home with dry fly droppers, as I mentioned before, and then shifting a little bit North South Boulder Creek has been doing quite well. The flows have been holding pretty consistent above a hundred CFS and coming out of uh, that deep bottom release dam at gross that is remaining cold throughout the entire season. And what about mountain reservoirs? So So Places like Spinney have been doing really well lately for pike. The trout have been a little bit more challenging. The the surface temperature is in mid-60s, if not touching 70 degrees at times, and that can be certainly challenging to get those trout going much up there, but it's less lethal to catch fish in that type of a temperature range for the trout than it is in the river because they have that depth to be able to drop back down to after you catch them. So places like Steamboat and Spinney may be decent. For some trout fishing, working some downriggers or fishing deep um, for those trout can be good. And then uh, the pike fishing at Stagecoach and at Spinney both have been doing well. Uh, spinner baits, uh, midday and then early in the morning, there has been some topwater action on some buzz baits and some plopper-style baits. So that is certainly something to take advantage of and uh, maybe catch a trout or two in the middle of the day on some downriggers down deep. Those trout are different than the walleyes, though. They can expel their air out of their swim bladder they get brought up. So you don't have to worry about that barrow trauma nearly as much as the walleyes that we mentioned there earlier. All right, my friend, we're out of time. If people want more information, how do they find you? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. We will talk again very soon. You have a good weekend. You as well, Terry. Thanks so much.
1: That Austin uh, Parr, always a great resource. And speaking of great resources, we're going to take a time out. And one of our our favorite longtime resources hunting and fishing. He's been a mainstay on this show for over a decade. Will join us, Nate Zelensky, after this break on Terry Wilsham Outdoors on 1043 The Fan.